Welcome to Aches and Gains, a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, pain specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Pain has reached epidemic proportions, and chronic pain affects a staggering 25% or more of the population. Its human impact is real and is felt by infants, children, all the way to older adulthood. But there's hope and there's treatment. This show offers compelling stories of those who found relief and offers insight into treatments that can ease pain and human suffering. Belly pain can be horrible, causing cramps, spasms, and intense squeezing sensations. Irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS, can be a common cause of abdominal pain and represents one of the digestive diseases that affects 90 million Americans. Today, we'll hear from Lisa Thorpe, who suffers from IBS, but has benefited from both traditional and integrative treatments. Then, an integrative gastroenterologist, Dr. Gerald Mulland, shares his expertise about useful medical therapies and the more progressive idea that food can be used as medicine in relieving the symptoms of IBS. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Lisa Thorpe suffers from irritable bowel syndrome, IBS. But she's been able to relieve her symptoms and pain by adjusting her diet, using traditional medicines, and incorporating mind-body therapies. Lisa, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Lisa, tell us how you first learned that you had IBS. I was diagnosed uh, probably around 1993 or 4 um, after having uh, a number of years of different symptoms and uh and intestinal distress, uh, cramping, lower left intestinal uh, pain. I would sometimes have just a feelings of malaise and fatigue, uh, sometimes sort of a low-grade fever, um, you know, diarrhea, urgency, these kinds of symptoms. Yeah, you know, some of my patients describe symptoms like stitch-like pain and sharpness and cramping and stabbing and bloating. Do these symptoms resonate with you too? I uh, yes, I, that was consistent with my experience as well. How long did you suffer from that discomfort before the diagnosis was made? Um, I probably had those symptoms for about uh, a year or two, and unfortunately, I think I was probably uh, misdiagnosed uh, in my earliest attempts to kind of figure out what was going on. Lisa, where specifically in your belly do you experience the pain? Historically. I experienced it below the belly button. Um, in more recent history, unfortunately, I have been experiencing it above the belly button. As in, when I say more recent history, in the last several years. Is the pain continuous, and, and what is it like? Again, your 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 question is sort of timely. I uh, <laughs> I had the misfortune of having a something of an outbreak um, about two weeks ago, and I was really sort of brought to my knees. I just felt horrible. And it wasn't sort of the kind of sharp doubling over pain, but just sort of a dull 
consistent, unremitting pain as if someone is punching you in the gut over and over again. Um, although I had not had such an episode for probably maybe something under two years. Mm-hmm. So I'd had a fairly good run for a long time. What are you using right now to help get you through this intense period of discomfort in the abdomen? Well, for this period of time, which was so, so debilitating, I mean, I did, I had that pain for probably, you know, two or three days straight until I, you know, sought medical treatment and um, medication. Unfortunately, I have been on a course of steroids, uh, which I'm on now. I, I will do a lot to avoid taking them, but things were so bad that, you know, even I was saying uncle and, and, it, and it, it worked, but I'm sure you're familiar with the downsides of steroid use. How are you able to do what you want to do and what you need to do in life? Um, it's difficult. I mean, again, uh, I consider myself lucky in that the episodes are, are um, you know, when they occur, they are uh, ugly and, and difficult, but... Thankfully, it's not necessarily, um, you know, completely chronic. Sometimes I just have to muddle through. Sometimes I just have to surrender completely. You know, I had this outbreak recently. It was a week before my kids, you know, my kids were just, I have two older kids that were coming back from a sleepaway camp for a month. Uh, I had, you know, another, you know, child starting first grade, all the school supplies, uh, you know, getting the house in order, getting them organized. You know what? It just went by the wayside. My husband did a lot of that stuff and the stuff that didn't happen. Guess what? It didn't happen. And I didn't care because, you know, when you're having, when you're feeling this lousy, uh, you know, all bets are sort of off, um, you know, that they didn't have the perfect, uh, you know, wardrobe for school or the perfect school supplies became, uh, you know, very secondary. A lot of patients that I see with abdominal pain or pelvic pain tell me that their families or their friends just don't really get it. I mean, they just don't seem to understand how much the pain can affect their lives. That's funny that you say that because when I, when I came back to work, I was off, you know, I, I was out of work for a week uh, recently and, you know, folks know that I have these issues, but, yeah, I don't think they, they fully get how, um, you know, unless they hear that you've been admitted to the hospital, which kind of was on the table for me this past yeah. few weeks, yeah. although I, you know, stren- strenuously, uh, you know, disagreed with uh, some of your colleagues on that one, um, you know, uh, you know, they're just like, oh, I'm sorry to hear uh, you aren't feeling well, you know. But, yeah, I don't think they quite understand that I was like, you know, uh, practically crawling on the floor and, you know, not walking down my stairs of my of my house because I just didn't have the energy to, to do that. Yes, I understand. This is Dr. Paul Christo when you're listening to Aches and Gains. When we continue... We'll ask Lisa about the hidden face of pain. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, a leading pharmaceutical company focused in specialty-driven markets, including pain management, and dedicated to improving and protecting quality of life for people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back. Elisa, when I mentioned the hidden face of pain, I meant that uh, most people can't see that something is wrong with someone like yourself who has abdominal pain. Tell us about that experience. I, 
I mean, I sort of put this stuff in the same category of maybe something like lupus. Um, you know, you kind of know people don't feel that well, but you can't quite uh, appreciate in what way they don't feel well or how they don't feel well. And um, I think these digestive diseases are sort of in that same category. And Lisa, tell us whether your abdominal pain is related to any foods that you eat. I sought the help of an uh, integrative physician, not a gastroenterologist at that time, who was the first one who ran a food panel. Voila, I am incredibly allergic to milk protein, yeah. as well as a host of other things. And by the way, mm-hmm. you know, this was not done through means of like some skin test, which will only test for your immediate um, IgE reaction, but, you know, the delayed food reactions, it was a huge uh, turning of the corner for me to find out that uh, food allergies played, or I should say sensitivities, played a pretty significant role in my digestive problems. So once you eliminated milk protein and other foods, did your abdominal discomfort improve? Absolutely. It was sort of the point at which I went from having chronic low-grade to moderate-grade problems to just occasional. We know that stress can worsen or trigger painful conditions. Is this true in your case? There's no doubt in my mind that it was stress that triggered, pulled the trigger. Well, have you taken any steps to reduce stress in your life? You know, I think I generally try maybe not to drive myself so hard. Um, I do not seek perfection any longer. Um, And, uh, you know, just try to take a uh, a, a sort of bigger view of things and priorities and, uh, you know, just try to take care of myself kind of uh, as best I can. Challenging. Yes, very challenging. So tell us which treatments have made a difference in your life. Number one was the uh, elimination or attempt to eliminate foods. And it's tough because there are a lot of things that I am um, sensitive to. I wish I had Oprah's personal chef. Um, You know, I'm supposed to avoid dairy, eggs, gluten, uh, sesame, uh, let's see, uh, you know, blueberries, pineapple, cranberries, um, you know, a lot. Right. So it makes it tough. Okay, so you've explained which foods you've eliminated from your diet. Tell us what you've added to your diet that have been most helpful. Probiotics, vitamin D, omega-3 fatty acids, some antioxidants like alpha-lipoic acid, biotin. Um, I, I do take acetyl, although not as routinely as I probably should. Lisa, before we wrap up, will you summarize the most effective treatments that you've used to reduce IBS pain? Taking charge of your case, studying, uh, you know, getting familiar with um, alternative modalities, finding a integrative physician, um, looking into diet. I think that is critical. In my case, it certainly was. Higher level diagnostic tests, nutritional uh, analyses, uh, see what deficiencies you have, use supplementation, and I think exercise and some kind of mind-body exploration meditation, yoga. Elisa, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. My pleasure. When we continue, we'll talk to an integrative gastroenterologist from Johns Hopkins, Dr. Gerald Mullen. 
You're listening to Aches and Gains, and this is Dr. Paul Christo. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. And we're back. Dr. Gerald Mullen directs the Integrative Gastrointestinal Nutritional Service at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. He uses complementary modalities, stress management, nutrition, and the mind-body connection in his practice. Dr. Mullen, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Abdominal pain, cramps, and spasms are the most common symptoms responsible for emergency room visits. Dr. Mullen, can you give us a sense for the scope of the problem of IBS? Well, we know abdominal pain is a frequent complaint both in the office setting and also in the emergency room setting. And uh, one of the you know causes of abdominal pain is uh, irritable bowel syndrome, which uh, we know afflicts uh, from 10 to 15 percent of the American population. So we know abdominal pain is very common. Dr. Mullen, how would you describe irritable bowel syndrome? It's a uh, symptom complex which includes abdominal pain but also alteration of bowel movements. And it usually happens in tandem where the uh, alteration in bowel movements either can relieve the pain or sometimes are, are uh, provocative. And uh, it's, as I mentioned before, it, it's quite prevalent in, in the uh, population today. What are some of the common triggers for IBS? It's really not known why it, it develops in people by and large. I mean, certainly we know that genetics plays a role uh, also, um, about uh, 25% of all IBS people can actually date their onset of illness to an infection, which could be from either traveling, like traveler's diarrhea, or even perhaps even uh, food poisoning. So that's uh, one of the more common triggers that we know of uh, irritable bowel syndrome, but in most people, we really don't know. It's frightening to realize that if we were to develop a slight gastrointestinal infection, that it could lead to a lifetime of pain due to IBS. It is frightening when you, when you travel abroad and you take in all your precautions. Uh, generally, what happens is that you may get sick for a few days, no more than a week, and then you're then you're fine. But uh, unfortunately, some people have it chronically. Over what period of time does someone need to experience these symptoms in order for the diagnosis to be made? Well, they they would have uh, either abdominal pain, as we were just talking about, and also. Uh, Along with that, they would have altered bowel movements, meaning diarrhea, which, which is pretty common, uh, or constipation, or even alternating between one and the other. We look to have uh, this present for at least three months, uh, most preferably at least six months before we start, before we really come along and say you definitely have irritable bowel syndrome. Jerry, where in the abdomen is the pain of IBS usually felt? The pain tends to be more in the uh, epi- lower a- abdomen region, whereas other conditions that affect maybe like an ulcer would be higher up, for example. You know, I have a lot of patients who simply can't sleep well from pain. How, in your view, does IBS affect sleep? There are some uh, people who have sleep disturbances with IBS, and even there's some people who, if they're, uh, they restore their sleep, with medication, their IBS can improve. So there, there is a relationship with sleep and uh, certainly IBS. 
This is Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. When we return, we'll ask Dr. Mullen what's involved in transmitting pain from the abdomen. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Neurogesics, a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing novel pain management therapies. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. Dr. Mullen, tell us what exactly is involved in transmitting pain from the belly to the brain. It's interesting. The neurotransmitter serotonin may be involved, but also um, a neuroendocrine axis or parts of the brain that uh, communicate with the gut through hormones. That may be involved as well. So it's very complicated. Uh, there's crosstalk between the gut and the brain and the pain centers. And so uh, serotonin is one of those biochemicals that may play a role, and there could be other um, neurohormones involved as well. Dr. Mullen, let's talk about food as medicine, because I know that you spent a good portion of your career studying specific foods as they relate to gastrointestinal problems. Which foods should patients with IBS specifically avoid? That's a very good question. Uh, Certainly, if you're having gas and bloating, and, and a subset of people with IBS have what's called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, in that they have a buildup of bacteria in their upper digestive system, it generally is suppressed in that area from stomach acid and enzymes and other things that keep the, the, the bacterial count low there. And when the bacteria build up there, they can ferment sugars and foods. And certainly fructose is one of those things that many Americans are intolerant to at, at, at higher amounts. So I would suggest maybe uh, in working uh, with a dietitian perhaps is to make sure that you're on a lower fructose diet or at least limiting it to under 50 grams a day of fructose. And things that are high in fructose would include apples and pears, which, you know, you, the apple a day keeps the doctor away, but the but certainly the fructose in it could actually cause problems. So I would say that would be the first thing I would, I would think of. And, you know, and people have a, a variety of different intolerances. Um, for example, lactose, you know, there's many Americans who have lactose intolerance, and that could certainly stir up a case of IBS, particularly with gas and bloating. And then there, there may be some people who have food sensitivity intolerances um, that, to, to different foods that are individualized. And uh, there's studies looking at elimination diets uh, that people have improvement. Uh, and so that is something to consider. Uh, and that's something that's best done in working with a dietitian. On the other hand, are there certain foods that actually are recommended? That is a very good question. We really don't have any solid evidence that there is an IBS diet out there. There's certainly a lot of books on it. But there is a family of foods now that, that are being researched. It's called FOD, F-O-D, MAP, M-A-P, just like it sounds. Um, that really refers to the fermentable foods that can cause gas and bloating in people with IBS. Now they're, they're looking at where are these FODMAPs, um, if you restrict them in the diet. And we talked about, and certainly lactose and milk, uh, the apples we spoke about and pears, they're, they're higher in FODMAPs because fructose and lactose are fermentable you know, foods. So Jerry, it sounds like these FODMAPs are foods that IBS patients should stay away from. Really, the big culprits are lactose and fructose. You know, for a patient with IBS and bloating, those would be the first two that I would target. So the things that are highest, again, are like the peaches and the pears and the apples and lactose. Um, those are pretty high. And certainly juices, fruit juices are high in fructose as well. Well, that's helpful information. This is Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. 
When we return, we'll ask Dr. Mullen about the mind-body connection and its relationship to IBS. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at drpaulchristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. Jerry, tell us about the mind-body connection and stress management and in relationship to IBS. Part of the, you know, the, the approach is really to sit down and, and look at what's going on in their lives and say, well, you know, I mean, we can only give you so many magic bullets, but unless you get, you know, your stress under control, you know, you're going to continue to have pain and, and suffer from this. And that's easier said than done. Dr. Mullen, we know that there's clinical evidence that cognitive behavioral therapy could be pretty effective in treating chronic abdominal pain. What about the use of herbs for the treatment of IBS? Um, there's an herbal prep that's been well studied in Europe. It's called Iberogast, I-B-E-R-O-G-A-S-T, combination of nine different herbs. That, that are Western and, and there's clinical trials showing that it actually helps people. And finally, tell us about some of the more effective traditional medicines to combat IBS. What about tricyclic antidepressants? The interesting thing about the tricyclics is that they actually can actually regulate the sensitivity to pain. I've seen that work for some people. Certainly the antispasmodic medications, for that can really make a big difference in some people. Even for people who are very anxious and, and need to kind of just relax a little bit, there's all kinds of ways to address that, both conventionally and also alternatively. Dr. Mullen, thank you very much for helping our listeners deal with abdominal pain. Thank you for having me. Tune in next time when we explore another interesting topic on aches and gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Here we have a question from Lee in Park Ridge, Illinois. Lately, I've been waking up in the morning to painful numbness in my hands, mostly fingers, and the numbness doesn't subside quickly or easily. Sometimes it returns during the day for no discernible reason. What can I do about this? If you're positioning your wrist in a bent position for long periods during your home projects, this could be compressing the median nerve at the wrist, which is called carpal tunnel syndrome, and causing numbness. Other things like repetitive up and down movements of the wrist, repetitive motion of the fingers, or forceful squeezing and releasing of a tool can also cause carpal tunnel syndrome. Ulnar tunnel syndrome, on the other hand, is usually due to things that use the palm of the hand like a hammer or with repetitive use of tools such as a screwdriver or pliers. I would have your primary care doctor examine you first to determine a diagnosis. Either of these two syndromes can be treated with splinting, anti-inflammatory medicines, steroid injections, or occupational therapy. Surgery would be a final option. And here's a question from Andre in Dublin, Ireland. For chronic pain, how long can someone stay on an opioid? Can someone stay on Percocet for years, for example? Well, Andre, the idea is to remain on the opioid as long as the patient and doctor feel that goals of therapy are being met, side effects are minimal, and that signs of misuse, abuse, or addiction don't appear. There are emerging side effects to consider for long-term use, though, like increased pain, breathing changes at night, and decreased levels of testosterone and estrogen. We're more aware of these potential problems now and ask patients if they're occurring. 
It may be necessary to reduce the opioid dose or even stop use, though. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vore and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Follow us on Twitter at drpaulchristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.